Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. We're going to jump into our series, uh, our part two of our series, A Better Way. And today we're going to be talking about contentment. Contentment, but not just contentment in general, contentment as a journey. As a journey. The theme verse for this series is Psalm 8410. And it says, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. We're going to really read the rest of the verse today. It says, I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. Just this last Wednesday night at youth group, Sobey's on vacation, and so I got to have some fun with the kids, and, and, and we played that old game, Would You Rather? And you know, we had some questions that they were going through, and, and you know, everybody has an opinion. But the psalmist is like, man, I would rather have a low position in the house of God than to live the good life, what we would say is the good life in the homes of the wicked. And I just love that thought. Coming to that place and that realization that, man, anything with Jesus and anything with God is better than a life lived with his, with his absence. Anything. If I could just walk with him, if I could be in his presence. And that's a lot of what today is all about. Because as you walk through life, sometimes you're not content. And I think one of the most powerful questions you can ask yourself in those times when you're just not feeling, you're not just feeling life, is why am I not content? Why? And when we drill down really deep into that question, we find that it's not a matter of material possessions. We might think it is, but we know when we look around that wealthy people aren't always happy. Have you noticed that? Wealthy people aren't always happy. And we know when we ask ourselves, why am I not content, that it's not a matter of power. Why? Because we know powerful people aren't always happy. And then we know it's not a matter of pleasure. Because, and how do we know that? Because pleasure seekers are always looking for more pleasure. They never find the end of it. They just keep going and seeking and, and, and trying to find something that, that is better than the last thing they found. And so why am I not content? And so we see as we just search through life, and if you've done enough life and maybe even made some some bad decisions in life, you've come to find that it's not about what I don't have. Because people who seek these things, power and possessions and pleasure, typically they find them, right? You ever notice that? And man, especially in our country, in uh, in America, man, we're blessed. And when you seek these things, A lot of times, you're going to find them. So it's not about what I don't have. This is why when I get there, I'll be happy. And we know that that's never true. And I know as a busy family, we think, oh, if we could just get through the next couple months, you know, things will settle down. And oh, if we just get to this stage. And when our kids were babies and in diapers, it's like, oh, can we just get out of diapers? And and everything in life is going to be so much better after that. And then you get out of diapers and you're like, oh, if we could just get through the terrible twos and threes and fours. And oh, if we just get them in school, you know, things will settle down. Oh, and oh, if we just, you know, and you go through all the seasons and you're like, it just keeps getting busier, right? And so contentment is not a season. It's not, a, it's not, it's not what you have. It's not, it's not just something being added or subtracted to your life. 
Here's a kind of practical illustration that I, that I went through, a personal story. A lack of contentment can really drive you nuts. It'll drive you nuts. For the first time in my life, uh, in the summer between my junior and senior year of college, um, we, we had a really close family friend that was a missionary in the Philippines. And so um, for my internship with the, the degree that I was pursuing in, in school, we worked it out to where I could spend the whole summer with him doing ministry. And so I went over to the Philippines, and this was the first time in my life that I was going to spend that much time outside of the United States. And um, I had been out of the United States. I'd been on trips. My parents had taken me for a a month before to the Philippines, but I was with them. And, and, you know, it's just different when you have that security blanket of having family with you. And so this was my first time dropped alone, just me and the missionary and the team that we were working with. And, 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 And so after a month or so, you know, I'm getting pretty homesick, right? Can I just be honest? Can I be a little vulnerable with you today? I'm like... I thought this was going to be a breeze, and like, I can't wait to go back home. And, and I was sleeping on a, on a mat, on a church pew, a different church pew. Every night, I had to put this mosquito net up and crawl in it to make sure I didn't get eaten alive. And, and, and I didn't take a shower the whole entire summer because it's, it's bucket baths. And, 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 and so I'm longing for hot water. I'm longing for normal food. And every once in a while, we would get to go through the drive-thru at McDonald's in the Philippines. And guess what? It tastes the same. It was amazing, right? And so every time we go through the drive-thru, I'm like, thank you, Lord. It's like the, 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 the skies of heaven would open and just the taste of that normalcy would just make everything feel better for a little bit, for a little bit, right? And McDonald's would satisfy for a moment, but you know what I realized after, after time kept going on and on and on? that the thing that I really mo- missed most, it wasn't the food because I could get the food. And, and well, I did really miss Dr. Pepper and you couldn't get that over there, but, um, but that's, that's a side note. But the thing I really missed most that I couldn't replace was the people. It was the people. I missed the people that were familiar, the people that, that, that I would laugh at their jokes. And I, if you know me, I don't tell a lot of jokes. And so um, I'm, I'm, I'm not very witty or, or funny in that regard. But I would laugh at other people's jokes. And, and the people that made me laugh and the people that I could just hang out with and be myself with. And, 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 and so it was hard. But I really missed the people. There were things that temporarily satisfied, but things weren't enough. They weren't enough. Paul says it like this in Philippians 4.11. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. And Paul, he made it clear that at times he had a lot and at times he had nothing. In other passages, we see Paul talk about times when he was shipwrecked, when he was uh, without clothes, when he was hungry with no food, when he had no shelter, when he was cold, when he was, you know, just totally down and out. And this guy that went through so much is saying, hey, I learned how to be content with whatever I have. And so having things really is not the key to contentment because Paul's saying, hey, I learned how regardless of what I had. And then he throws down the gauntlet just a couple verses later. 
And this is a verse many of of you know, but maybe you don't connect this verse to the issue of contentment in your life. And he says, for I can do all things through Christ. Underline Christ. And we're gonna maybe look at this a little bit different than you've ever looked at it before. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And so contentment for Paul didn't have anything to do with anything he possessed. And it had everything to do, the ability that he possessed and learned how to be content had everything to do with a person. Had everything to do with a person. Not a what, but a who. And so the first thing we see today is that contentment is not a possession. It's a person. Contentment is a person. And life just goes better. And that's what this series is all about. It's about a better way. Life is better when we are content in God's presence. Life is better when we are content in God's presence. And I think, I think about it like this. God's presence is our eternal reward. Kelly mentioned it earlier. We're gonna stand at the throne of God for all of eternity crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And guess what? It's never gonna get old. It's gonna be amazing just to be in the presence of God. It's gonna be enough. And you, with all the things you have going on in life and all the different responsibilities and things pulling at you and pushing you and, and, and you're like, man, is that really gonna be enough? Yes, because God is that great, right? And so God's presence, it's our eternal reward And so since it's our eternal reward, then it should also be our current pursuit. It should be our current pursuit. And so contentment, if contentment is a person, then it's not a place that you arrive. It's a journey that you embark on. Contentment, it's not a place that you arrive. It's a journey you embark on. It's a a journey that you go on with Jesus in his presence. But listen, The greatest enemy to the life that you may want may be the life that you're living. You may be living a life that is is pointing you in every direction besides God's presence. And so when you ask yourself, why am I so discontented? Why do I not have contentment in my life? And I would propose to you today that, that the one thing that cannot be missing might be missing and it's Jesus. And so we gotta, let, let, we gotta live lives pointed towards the right ending and eternity spent with Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna look at Psalm 63 today. And in this Psalm, we're gonna see all the stages of contentment. We're gonna break it down. We're gonna see longing. We're gonna see finding And we're gonna see resting. That, hey, we were longing for something, and then we found it, and then we rest in it. And we just realize, hey, man, I can be content in God's presence. So, and so Psalm 63, one through three, let's read it together today. It says, oh God, you are my God, right? And when you, man, when you read these Psalms like this, you gotta say it with some feeling. And so, oh God, you're my God. 
I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory, and your unfailing love is better, there's that word, better than life itself. How I praise you. Let's pray today. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example set for us by, by David. And God, thank you that, you're, that you are better than life itself. You're better. And when we're longing and we're searching and when we're not content, we can find contentment in a relationship with you. And so let this word get deep down in our hearts today and help us to walk out of this place knowing that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so today there's going to be three points and you can fill them in in your notes. And so let's start with number one. I find contentment when I, number one, daily search for God. When I daily search for God, we see this in the verse. Searching, longing. So the context of this verse is is that David was probably on the run during the attempt of his, his son Absalom to overthrow his father's throne. And so just a little backstory, and, and we, we don't have time to cover, uh, you know, uh, large portions of scripture today, but if, if it, maybe you've heard the stories, David, he was a shepherd boy, he killed Goliath, he kind of rose in popularity, he, he became a threat in Saul's eyes to Saul's throne. Well, eventually God took Saul out of the picture, David becomes the king of Israel, He reigns for a long time with no issues and he makes some really dumb choices along the way and and then all of a sudden his son grows up and tries to take the throne from his own father. And man, when you look back on your life, you're like, man, there's been a lot of water under the bridge and and there was a lot of water under the bridge for David, a lot of ups and downs and and conflict and and forgiveness and, and, and there's just a lot. But here he is, having already been a king for a long time and his, and his kingdom is being tried to, it's being taken from him, attempted to be taken from him by his own flesh and blood, his son Absalom. And so scholars believe that this is probably the season in which David's writing this psalm and he's away from his home, he's out. And so the, the, the words that he's saying fit the context, Correct? He's literally probably in a wilderness. You and I, we are living in a cultural wilderness that is thirsty for real love and real belonging. Everywhere we look, we see people that are, are searching, that are insecure, that really are, are they're presenting a facade to the world of maybe having things together, but deep down they're longing. And their hearts could really echo the words of this psalm. I love that in this psalm, it mentions the condition of, of the soul. It mentions the body. It mentions the land and the culture and environment that we're surrounded with. It says, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. And so one thing I see is just a personal, a real relationship. He says, oh God, you're my God, mine. 
There's no like wondering, is God for me or is God with me? No, you're my God, right? And so the first step of contentment we see is to, to make God your God, to, to, to claim him, to say, Jesus, man, I'm here for you. I accept you. You're my God. Another thing we see is that our whole being needs Jesus. Our soul, our body, every part of you needs Jesus. You need him for your mental health, for your spiritual health, even for your physical health. You need him. We see this utter dependence in this verse. And so what does it look like to daily search for God? Well, one thing it's not, it's not hide and seek. Like, God, where did you go today? God, I can't find you today. So that's not what David means when he says that he's, he's searching for God. But if we look at the, at the reality, the context here, and uh, we know that in the Old Testament, believers were not as blessed as we are to have God's presence abiding with them or in the, within them. Today, because of what Jesus did on the cross, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, then the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart and in your life. In David's day, however, God's presence was manifested in the tabernacle, in the temple. And so David at this time, he's exiled from Jerusalem, and David felt far away from God when he desperately needed to experience God's presence. And so our proximity might be better now because we're, we're walking and, and living with the Holy Spirit inside of us. But the heart of desperation and dependence is the same. And this is the takeaway that, man, in my search for God every single day, I'm depending on him. I'm desperate for him because I'm in a land that is parched, that is weary. I'm weary. I'm tired. I am acknowledging every single day as I search for God, as I search the scriptures, as I search for spiritual food to feed my soul, I'm acknowledging that I can't do this without him. I might try a lot, but I won't succeed. I need Jesus. And so we daily come to him with this attitude of dependence, right? This is what it means to daily search for God. The second thing that we see in this passage is that we need to remember the spiritual markers or GPS coordinates or experiences that, that we've had with God in our life. We need to remember the spiritual markers in my life. Why is this important? Because we're recognizing what God has done and what he can do. Psalm 63, 2, it says, I have seen you, past tense, in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and your glory. So I have seen you. Once again, very personal. David is making this declaration. Man, I, I've seen the Lord. I've had an experience with him. I've seen his presence. I've seen it at work. And he had. For me in ministry and, and just as a follower of Jesus, whenever I'm questioning my resolve, whenever I'm questioning, man, do I have what it takes? Can I do it one more day? Can I, can I keep going in this life that God has called me to live? It's always a good exercise and it always encourages me and always helps me take the next step. When I think back and I remember the times that God has marked my life, the times when I've had an experience with him, the times when, man, um, his, his word has just lit up and filled my heart with life. When I think back and I remember, man, if God did it then, if he called me then, if his hand was upon me then, man, 
He's still with me now. Just like that song we sang today, great is your faithfulness, oh God. He's with you. We can count on him. And so we, and sometimes we just gotta remember what he's done in the past. I like to call this digging deep. That I'm gonna remember my call. I'm gonna remember my salvation. I'm gonna remember the times when, when I, was, I was laid out on my face before God and God was breaking my heart for what breaks his. I'm gonna remember those times and I'm gonna draw on the strength of those experiences and those times when I saw the Lord and I experienced his goodness and I saw his power and his glory at work in my life because sometimes you just need to be reminded and you need to remember. If you haven't had an experience like that, it's time to start anticipating and seeking an encounter with God. And you might think, Joe, what does that look like? I don't even know how to start. And I just wanna encourage you, it's not hard. The Bible is very clear. Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. And the first step in that journey is, is doing just what the psalmist do. I mean, he's, he's staking his, his claim in the ground. It's like he, he's stepping out on the moon and he's putting the flag in the ground just like the, uh, those astronauts did, right? Hey, I'm with you. Make it personal, right? Put that marker in the ground. This is the day that I begin to follow Jesus. This is the day that, that, that I'm making him my God, not my father's God, not my grandmother's God. Not, no, he's my God, right? It begins with that decision. And so we're gonna dig deep. We're gonna remember those times or we're gonna start seeking those times and those encounters with God for the first time. And then we gotta run the race. We're gonna pursue the call. We're gonna pursue salvation. We're gonna pursue the presence of God. Let me encourage you for a bit, though. Experiencing the presence of God should be a normative experience in your journey. Normative, though, doesn't mean the same every time. Every time you open God's word and read it, and you know, it may not hit you emotionally or with your feelings the same, time, the same way every time. And that's just because feelings, they're not right, they're not wrong, they just are, right? We can't always control them, but we can choose what to do with them. And so it's not the same every day. It happens in all kinds of forms. And it's not what you feel. It's what's real. And what's real is a God that loves you and a God that wants to provide for your every need. And so we remember the spiritual markers in our life and we draw strength from those, but we're not pursuing the past. We're pursuing what God has for us next. We're not trying to recreate a past experience. We're remembering that he's full of new experiences that he's just that good. And some of you need to hear that today because, man, you're resting on your laurels. You're living off leftovers. You're remembering that time that God did something in your life. But if you get honest with yourself, you can't remember the last time you had a real encounter with God, a real encounter with his word, when the words just jumped off the page and convicted you deep down in your soul that caused a course change and a difference in your life. You see, it doesn't have to be when the music's going and everything. It can be in the quiet of your own home when the words of his word just completely transform and reshape your heart. You need an encounter with God. So don't pursue the past. Pursue what's next. It's not about the experience. It's about him. 
not living off the leftovers, but remembering how good he's been and diving into a God that is so immense and so wonderful that I'll keep learning, that I'll keep having encounters, and I'll never find the depths of who he is. I'm not living for the experience. I'm living for him. And I'm searching for him, and I'm experiencing him. You see, that's what David did. He, he, he found himself in this, in this land of, of discontent, but he reminded himself, I have seen you, Lord. I've seen your power and your glory. I've gazed upon it. So he's building himself up as he searches for God. One thing that just really encourages me is 2 Timothy 1.9. It says, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time. Underline that. That was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And so when you think about, Joe, I don't have any spiritual markers in my life. I haven't had an encounter with God. I don't know what to look back to. I don't know what to look forward to. Man, I, I'm just, I'm just kind of lost here. Well, you can take heart today that, for, that from before the beginning of time, God planned on you encountering Jesus Christ, on you encountering the life-saving power of a loving God that wanted to intersect with your life and change you and shape you and give you that spiritual marker where you realize you're my God and I've found a better way and it's with you. Amen? Amen. Number three, as we close today, if we're going to find a better way, if we're going to find how to live this life of contentment as a journey, then once we've, once we've searched for God and we've recognized I'm not content right now, I'm hurting, and once we've remembered the spiritual markers in our life, then number three, we got to put our own voice to how good God is. I got to put my own voice to how good God is. And in the moment, in the moment, whatever it is, in any moment, in every moment, in the storm moments, in the paradise moments, in, in whatever the moment that you're in, I'm gonna praise God. I'm gonna praise him. Listen, contentment happens and begins in your mouth before it grows in your heart. We see this all throughout scripture. God spoke and the world was created, right? The psalmist speaks and gives glory to God and then his heart is strengthened and he remembers how good God is. And so contentment is always gonna begin in your mouth before it grows in your heart. Psalm 63, three, we see it. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. Your unfailing love is better than life itself, how I praise you. And you might say, how in the world is David saying this when he's on the run, when his family's against him, when he's in trouble, when he's in a, a parched land and he's weary and there's no water, and, and, and yet, because contentment isn't about what you have and it's about a person, because he has God's presence, he's able to say that your unfailing love is better than life itself, how I praise you, how I praise you. 
Let's look at some other verses that put our voice to how good God is. Psalm 118.8 says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. Man, so much of the time when we want to put our voice to the, to the contentment or discontentment in our life, you know what we do? We run straight first to people. We do. And we just want to tell everybody about all our problems. But, but God's word says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. And so I just want to encourage you today, when, when you put your own voice to how good God is, man, you want to tell God about your problems before you tell others, right? Because sometimes that's all you need. Sometimes. Let's take it a step further than that. So we're going to tell God about our problems before we tell others. And then how about this? Tell God how good he is before you tell him about your problems. Man, this is, this is good. That when you're all you want to do is tell God about your problems and how discontented you are in life and how unhappy you are about your situation. How about you start by just telling him how good he is? Just tell him how good he is. Think of everything that you could possibly tell him about his, his faithfulness and his grace and his goodness in your life. Why not start there? Because if you never tell God how good he is with your own mouth and with your own words and your own heart, before long, your problems are going to seem bigger than he is. They will. And so sometimes, I don't know about you, but I just need to remember, or I need to stop the pity party and remember the greatness of my God. I need to remember the greatness of my God. Listen, church, we do need people. God's word is clear. We need each other. But we need God more. People are a gift. It is great to have relationships with people that build you up, and that's why we do life groups. And, but we need God more. Having people in our life that are going in the same direction is good. Knowing about God and, and knowing his word is better. But fully surrendering ourselves to God's direction and, and fully surrendering ourselves to his glory is best. But if we're never telling him how good he is, except for when we're here at church and the song, the song team is leading us and, and it, man, we're just reading words on a screen. And we need to take it a step further. Say, God, I want to tell you with my own words. I want to tell you with my own heart how good you are. And you just watch the chains of discontentment begin to break off of your life. Amen. Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power to work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Man, you need to start memorizing these verses. And, and when you're discontented, you're just begin to declare these verses over your life. Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God, you're, you're going to be there for me. You're going to provide for me. 2 Corinthians 9.8, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Man, there is power when you put your own voice to how good God is. Listen, church, people will fail you. You will fail you. But God will never fail you. 
And so as you go on this journey of contentment, you're going towards Jesus. You're putting your life in his hands and you're resting in the fact that he's just that good and that he's enough. Amen. So a better way. What does it look like this week is we're on this journey of contentment and we're looking for a person. We're not looking for a thing. We're searching for him with all of our hearts. We're saying, you're my God. We're remembering the spiritual markers along the way and we're drawing strength from them. And we're remembering that if God was there for me, then he's going to be there for me now. And then we're putting our voice to how good God is. Can you stand with me all across this place? Thank you, Jesus. God, we just want to take a moment. We just want to take a moment and tell you how good you are, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing that together today, church. God, you're so good. God, you're so some of you today, your first step is to make Jesus your God, okay? That you're not worshiping from afar off anymore, that if you're going to get content, if you're going to get happy in life, it's not going to be about chasing the things you've been chasing. It's about entering into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're ready to do that today. And so if everybody can bow your heads and close your eyes, if you're ready to begin a relationship with Jesus, and you're saying, Joe, it's going from my head to my heart today. I'm making this personal, and I'm accepting Jesus as my Lord and my Savior today. If that's you and you're ready to make that decision, I just want you to boldly, boldly lift, our, lift your hand all across this place. If you're online sitting on your couch today, I want you to lift your hand there and say, hey, this isn't going to be an impersonal thing for me anymore. This is going to be a personal relationship with Jesus. God, here's my life. Here I am. I give my life to you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for those of you that raised your hands today. I believe that if you, in your own words, in your own heart, you pray a simple prayer just like this one that I'm going to pray. You invite Christ in your life and he's going to take residency in your heart and in your soul. And you're going to begin a relationship with Jesus. And so you can pray a prayer just like this. Say, God, I confess I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I need a savior. I need you. And so here's my life. I believe that you died for me on the cross to pay the punishment for my sins. And you rose again on the third day. And so I trust you with my life. Help me, Lord, to become a follower of you. Not just one who knows you or says that I believe in you, but one that, that follows your words every day. Help me to understand your word. Help me to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. God's word is really clear that when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you become a new creation. Amen. Amen. It's the first step to contentment. It's the first step. If you're here today and you say, Joe, man, I've been battling discontentment for a while and it's time. It's time to acknowledge it, to remember what God has done in my life and to keep pursuing him in the future and recognizing how good he is and just to rest in the contentment that he offers. If that's you today, as I pray a closing prayer, just raise your hand and say, so that's me, that's me, here we go. I wanna go in the journey of contentment and pursue Jesus as the one that is gonna provide it for me. Amen, let's pray today. God, here we are, here we are. We're recognizing we're living in a land that is dry, that is parched, that's tough. It's hard to be content in this world but we realize that we can learn to be content when we press into the person of Jesus Christ. When we say, God, lead us. It's through Christ that we can do all things. It's through your spirit that we can truly find contentment in this life and in the life to come. And so help us, Jesus. Help us to remember where the ways that you've blessed us and help us to put a voice to how good you are. And let that praise be the weapon that we use in our life that is gonna fuel us, that is gonna give us what we need to serve you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.